0: In you I find my joy. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. Here we go. Um, I started out by talking a little bit about um, just the privilege of gathering and the privilege of having a church gathering like this, um, coming together, worshiping God. Uh, gathering, no matter how big it is, it could be you know just a few people in your living room or it could be a gathering this size. Gathering is important for the believer. And uh, one of the reasons why it's important for the believer is that it gives us a corporate sense of identity. Um, what I mean by that is that y- y- you guys understand that God gives us identity through what he's done on the cross. He gives us identity through what Christ has accomplished. We start where Christ finished. Um, And that's just one of the biggest joys of being a believer. But there's a sense of corporate identity that comes when you see that the move of God that's happening is bigger than just you. Um, There's something about coming into a space like this and you see how somebody else is worshiping, how somebody else is giving their all to the Lord, even what was it just said challenged me. You just hear from other believers and there's a sharpening that happens. And it begins to settle into an identity. And so it's important to gather um, before we jump into I have a whole message, uh, but I just want to address the lockdown just a little bit. Um, I want to take a moment to say something. I haven't really said anything. Um, I, I tend to try to keep my mouth shut about a lot of things, and then I write whole classes about them, like God and government. It's like, I don't talk about them, and then it's like, I don't have an Instagram, I don't have a Twitter. It's like, I just write a whole class about it and hope that you listen to it. Um, but anyways, I just want to um, start. I, I, just, I have three questions um, that I want um, us to think about in this lockdown. Um, I just think, first of all, where's Bria? Bria, raise your hand real fast. Oh, she's up there. Can we just thank Bria? She came up with that whole pause idea. That's awesome, thank you. Um, and, and she's been so, I always, I'm like the, it's like good good cop, bad cop. I like him the guy who I come to Bria and I'm like, I'm so mad about this shutdown, what are we gonna do? It's so frustrating and she's like, well, here's different creative ways that we could be the church in this time. I'm like, okay, well that's a better heart and that's, those are better thoughts and all that. Um, but I, I just want to say to you guys, would you pray for us as leaders? Um, would you take time in this next season to just pray for me? Uh, pray for us. I, th- this um, year has, the, has had the opportunity to weigh heavily on the hearts of every leader you know. Every church leader you know, um, this has been a tough year for them, for the most part. Um, in the midst of it, we still get to stand in who we know God to be, and we get to sing the songs that we get to sing, and, and we get to believe all the things that we, that we believe. Um, but it still is a challenging year. There's more challenges this year than ha- have been in other years. I, I was talking to my wife yesterday. I was like, can you imagine being a pastor in the year 1990? That would have been so easy. Uh, it's like everybody goes to church and nobody's really that controversial about issues and it's like no lockdown and the economy's booming. It's like we just have had a little bit of a testing season to see what the church is really made of and um, what our church is made of is, is the real thing. So I think that's really good. Um, how do we do family in the face of lockdown? Uh, because I want you to think for yourselves. It'd be easy for me, you know, there's certain things that I'm very certain about and then there's certain things that I just have opinions about, but more than anything, what we've done in our church is tried to develop a church that thinks. A church that doesn't just, there's no party line at Saints Hill. There's his presence as primary, character change is inevitable, but the rest is just up to freedom. And um, so we've done our best to create a thinking church. I have three questions for this generation. All of you who are alive today in the face of lockdown, and um, I want you to just ponder these questions. Um, I think these are important questions for us uh, as a people. I think they're important questions for us as, as believers. Um, I also, you know, we live in the United States. I think these are important questions for us as Americans as well. Um, the first question that I want to pose to you, and I want you to think about this next season, is, is this. How much of your freedom are you willing to relinquish for the potential of staying safe? How much of your freedom are you willing to relinquish for just the potential of staying safe? I see in our country and I see in our state that safety has been a higher priority than freedom. It's okay at times. It's okay to to put the needs of others before you. That's a good thing. Um, It is also an important thing that we remember that Christ has made us to be free and um, to not be controlled by the government, uh, but to be people who are free. So I I want you to think about that. You can come to your own conclusion, but as you grow older, um, I just wonder how much you're willing to give up of your freedoms in order for a government to tell you that you'll be safe if you just give your freedoms up. Secondly, and if you don't like these, by the way, you don't have to agree with these questions. You don't have to think about these questions, but you should listen to God and Government if you don't like these. Secondly, (laughs) Uh, Will you think for yourself in this season, or will you release your critical thinking to the narrative of our media, or to popular opinion in your social media feed? Will you think for yourself, and will you take in data? Will you do the hard work to find the article that's referenced in the the post? Um, Or will you just kind of, like a sheep, follow whatever the government, or whatever media, or whatever your friends tell you? Think for yourself. Now, I've mentioned this, this last question in our God and Government series. Um, where the will of government conflicts with the will of God, we only have one choice as believers. Where the will of government conflicts with the will of God, we only have one choice as followers of Jesus. As Christians, our job is to be continually meeting. This isn't up to the government. It's up to God when he designed the family of God, which is actually what we're gonna talk about this evening. So here's the last question. At what point does the will of the state conflict with the call of God's church in your life? You just have to decide what that point is. Wisdom is knowing what hill to die on and what hill to not die on. Um, And so it's very important for you to just think about these things. I'm not telling you what to think. I'm just saying, would you take a moment in this next season, this pause that we have, and would you begin to think critically a little bit and ask this question, are we at the point, or could we get to a point, and what point is it where the will of God in my life is actually conflicting with the will of the state? In that context, we honor the governor, we honor the leader, we honor the ruler, wherever their will is not in conflict with the will of God. But where it is in conflict with the will, with the will of God, we have one option. So um, all of that being said, we have a great opportunity to still continue to gather together in homes. And I really want to encourage you that um, over these next two weeks that you don't lose heart and you actually make the sacrifice to meet with people and to learn with people. I know, who here, if I, like, who likes Zoom? Not, okay, I don't believe you, Connor. Not one person <laughs> likes Zoom. Nobody likes online church, okay? <laughs> um, but would you make the sacrifice for the sake of the people around you to enter in again? the same heart, the same hunger that you have here. Okay, shut down talk, over. Y'all good? Kind of fired up? Maybe you're mad at me? That's all right. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to be this evening, Acts chapter 2. Uh, man, I've been very excited to talk about this with you all. Um, this is a message that uh, I gave uh, two years ago, and Uh, I just think that the Lord has done so much since then that I had to kind of update the whole thing and rework it. Um, But I I really am excited about this evening. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. Now, there are many, many metaphors used in the New Testament to describe church to describe what we're doing right now. Um, Some authors in the New Testament call the church a nation, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Um, Some uh, authors of the New Testament call the church a body, the body of Christ. Some authors uh, call it a community. But this evening, I want to use the metaphor Jesus used for this image of the first church, which is a family. When Jesus taught us how to communicate with the Father, He made the world's largest adoption happen by saying this. When you pray, pray our Father. (laughs) That means that we are brothers and sisters and we have the same Father. So our ninth core value as a church is the church is a family that builds family. The church is a family that builds family. Now, I just made a claim, the church is and it seems to me that almost everyone today has a take on what the church is, right? What is the church? What is the point of the church? Does the church even, is it even relevant anymore? And when you start a church, like we did a couple years ago here, uh, you need to ask these questions. What is the church? What's the point of the church? See, I had worked for a church uh, before, and I was good with participating in this 501c3 nonprofit organization that we call church, but running that same kind of organization, that same kind of church, it actually took some questioning for me. Is what we see even this evening what the New Testament authors intended when they were building the church? Uh, when, When Jesus stands before Peter and he says, on this rock, I will build my church, did he have a once a week meeting in mind? I don't know. Okay, so a few notes to kind of make. A few notes. Black, white, and gray. Where the Bible is black and white, we're gonna be black and white. There's, you know, people ask, you know, why do we have deacons? Why do we have elders? What do those words even mean? Well, the reason why we have it is because we see in the New Testament church, they have those things. And so where the Bible's been clear about the structure of what is a church, we're gonna be clear about what should be the structure of our church. Now, wherever the Bible is gray, there is freedom and contextualization. And so wherever there's gray in the New Testament about what a church actually is or what the church actually is, we as believers have freedom, uh, so long as we've been black and white, the Bible's been black and white, we actually have freedom to explore what church actually could look like for us in our context. Um, Number three, organizations like ours are structures. Structures are only worth what they carry. This is very important. The first time that you ever see the Holy Spirit come on someone in the Bible is in the Old Testament when they're building the temple. It comes on the designer of the temple. Who's the designer of of the temple? He's the one building the organization. He's the one building the structure. Structures are only worth what they carry. And so, if if ever this 501c3 stops carrying the presence of God, value for his Holy Spirit, the 10 core values that we've uh, been going through as a church, then we actually lose our purpose to remain an organization or a structure. And then number four, we have the responsibility as an organization, as this 501c3 church, to ask the question, why do we do what we do? Why do we have a sermon? Why do we have worship? I mean, it sounds really nice, but why do we have it beyond that? Why do we have tithes and offerings? Um, Why are we gonna do online church? Is it for uh, the health of an organization, or is it the expression of the family of God on the mission of God? See, those are two different things. There's a lot of churches that probably some of you guys have participated in, that they did things for the health of an organization. That's not the church. The people of God, when being the church, are people connected to the mission of God. Now, I actually believe, uh, as leadership, that the organization of Saints Hill is able to be a contextualized starting point for the family of God here in Newburgh, but that ultimately the people of God here, you all, must take up the mantle of the New Testament church and be family to one another. So the organization, it's not enough. It's a starting point. It's like uh, you know a pioneer going to a new land. They can't just stand out in the cold if they're gonna live there. They have to build a house. And so long as the house is fun, but they didn't move there for the house alone. They moved there to conquer the land. Does that make sense? We didn't come here just to meet in a building. We came here to set you all on fire so that you go be the church in everything that you do. So when we make the statement, The church is a family that builds family. I'm not saying that the 501c3 nonprofit is this. I'm saying that the intention of God was something specific for his people and that we have freedom through the New Testament to do church through an organization like ours. Does that make sense? Some of you young people are like, uh, what? Okay, let's start here. What is the church? What is the church? Well, the first glimpse we see of the church is right here. Look down at your Bibles. Acts chapter. Uh, We're in chapter two, right? Yeah, chapter two, verse 42. It says this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What is the church? The church is a place where fathers and mothers are in the house to teach, They're submitting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They're watching their signs and wonders. They're learning how the Holy Spirit works and what the kingdom of God looks like. The gifts of the Spirit were present in their midst. Generosity becomes normal. People's real homes, they were meeting in each other's homes, like we're about to do, meeting in people's homes, real homes are involved. A belief that God was good enough to share, they begin to do evangelism. That is what makes a church. And this looks really good. How many of you guys, you've read this, and you're like, I want that. So many people, you read this, you're like, that's what I'm after. But has that actually been your experience? Has this actually been your experience? I honestly think that for some of us at St. Sill, yeah, I can look at this and I'm like, that kind of sounds like St. Sill. But I think for many of us, we have problems with the church. We have problems with the church. We have baggage from other church experiences. We've been a part of churches that didn't look like this. Because down through history, the church has not always lived up to its original vision. Instead, the church has become a place of manipulation, of hurt, and of disappointment. The church is often thought of by many Christians today as um, it's, it's a good thing, but And what most people mean when they say that or when they have that sentiment in their heart is that the church has actually let them down in some way, but it's also influenced their love for God. And so there's tension. I've talked with many people in this tension of love for the church, but also pain from the church, and there's normally four reasons, four primary reasons why we have problems with the church. These are the four. Leadership. You had leadership that led that church, that didn't see themselves as mothers or fathers, but people participating in an organization or a business, and so they actually don't empower and they don't protect. Or they do a lot of protecting, that's sin, that's bad, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And they do no empowering. Or they do a bunch of empowering and they're like, have at it, who knows what happens, whatever happens, happens. Second reason, theology. The Bible was interpreted outside of the love of the Father. And so there's an entire hermeneutic for non-Bible students, an entire way of reading the Bible that doesn't involve a relationship with God. It's a tragedy when people interpret the scriptures who are not in love. Third, community. There didn't seem to be a place for me. You know, there are people, there's probably new people here this evening, there are people who have come into this room and they're wondering, is there a place for me? And, and honestly, it's not just my job to make them feel welcome, it's yours. And so if you've ever felt hurt from a church, uh, you actually have an opportunity to right the wrong and to change the trajectory for someone who comes into this space and feels welcome. And then lastly, for power, they wouldn't let me fill in the blank, whatever it is. I'm always, I wanted to be on the worship team, I have so much to offer, they wouldn't let me. I wanted to participate in this thing or I had this great ministry idea or the church just should do this. You know, a lot of people want to go to churches um, that do the things that they should be doing. But they get to point and say, well, at least my church does that. What's your church doing about that? (laughs) For some, the church has been a place of abuse and legitimate pain. and, And for others, the church just didn't meet expectations. And I think the answer to both problems is a reformation in how you see the church and how our church functions, and it all begins with family, with family. Now, why? Why family? Why family? Well, why is family the answer to a distorted church? Well, it's God's answer to a distorted world. See, God designed humans for family, and from the very beginning, it was God's plan to seed the world with his goodness through a family, Genesis 1, verse 27, what does he say? Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, produce a family. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but Adam was not attacked until there was Eve. I would put forth that Satan was not threatened by a single person, but threatened by family. The sin of Adam and Eve wreaks generational havoc from Genesis 3 to 11, but then in Genesis chapter 12, there's a man, do you remember his name? Abraham. God calls a man named Abraham to do what? To start a family. (laughs) A growing family is the answer to the chaos of Genesis 3 through 11. So picture this. As the family of God grows, the family of Satan is pushed back, just like God intended for Adam and Eve in the garden. In the Old Testament, the way that the people of God grew was through family, people having children. But things shift in the New Testament from having babies as the way the kingdom grows to being born again in the spirit to the way that the family of God grows. I mean, think about the language even, born again. No one is born a Christian, but anyone who wants to be in this family can be by being born again, by receiving his breath. Think spirit Just the same way that every human begins to live when they come out of their mother. Breath. Jesus breathes on his disciples, and a new family is started. So then think about this Jesus' blood becomes our primary blood for where we find allegiance. We are to lay down allegiance to our blood groups and to come under his blood. This is family. So just to recap, family matters to God. It's how he wants to change the world. It was his answer to sin. And it's not just for those in actual nuclear families. It's for those with the blood of Jesus coursing through their veins and their lungs filled with the Holy Spirit. Without this understanding of the value for family, people will often settle for organizations and programs and call that church. But for Saints Hill... We are on the journey to understanding what family actually means in our church. And so for tonight, I have four reformations in thinking and practice for us as a church based around family. Write these things down. Four reformations in how we think about the church and how we practice church. The first is this. A mission that is larger than personal health. A place where unity isn't defined as uniformity. Family becoming the context for greatness. And lastly, a people who look to God to be their true father. These are four reformations in our minds and in our practice as church for us to be family. So I'd like to take each of these first. A mission that is larger than personal health. We need to be an apostolic family. Most churches in the West, uh, they exist really for one reason, and it's the health of their members. Churches are founded for the health of the people, the Christians in specific regions. And this desire for healthy people and healthy community is a good desire. But we go wrong when we pursue community for the sake of community or health for the sake of health. See... If the family of God is disconnected from the mission of God and the culture of heaven, it will lose its purpose and often becomes a place of control in order to maintain order and health instead of cultural transformation. The reason God instituted a family in the first place was to give them a mission, to go to a new land, to start a new Eden outpost where new children would partner with God like Adam and Eve had been partnering with God. And so in this sense, family exists for mission, and family exists to give a prophetic taste for what the world was designed for. The mission isn't to get family, it's family for mission. See, there's a difference between an apostolic church and a pastoral church. In one the primary concern is with the health and safety of the people attending the church. In the other, the primary concern is with heaven coming to earth. How many of you guys know when heaven comes to earth, health and safety also follow? The New Testament uh, founders of the church, uh, the leaders of the family of God, were called apostles. Now, what's interesting to me is that Jesus could have used other titles for these church leaders, for these family leaders than apostles. He could have used titles that they were familiar with. Titles like priest. If you're Jewish, you have a framework for what a priest is. Or patriarch. If you're Jewish, you have a framework for what a patriarch is. He doesn't do that. He actually borrows from a Roman term, from a Greek term, apostle. And he says, You're going to be my apostles, leaders of the family of God on earth. Now, why? Why apostle? Well, what what exactly is apostle? The word apostle in Greek just means sent one, but it's a Roman military term that actually references an individual who would go after the Roman military had conquered a town and actually puts culture into that town. So what, what, what the Romans discovered is that they could conquer a bunch of towns But then they would come back a year or two later and the town looked the same as it had looked when they conquered it. It didn't look like Rome. And so they created this position called Apostle. And the job of the Apostle was to follow the Roman military to whatever town they conquered and to then teach that town what kind of art, what kind of food, what kind of architecture, what kind of culture that town should have in order to look like Rome. So translate that to the church. Who are apostles? Some have thought that apostles are just kingdom entrepreneurs. This is the most commonly thought of idea of what an apostle is today. They're ministry starters. They're church planters. They're people who go and start something new and then go and start another new thing. Well, think about this. You could conquer a hundred towns, but if they don't look like Rome, you're not an apostle. You could plant a hundred churches, but if they don't look like heaven, you're not an apostle. The apostle's primary desire is to see heaven become the dominant culture in a place. This is our mission. An apostolic church is a church that seeks to expand heaven into every home and every workplace. Saints Hill doesn't exist for people to come to it and get healthy emotionally or mentally. (gasps) You're like, wait, what? I thought I was, I gotta go. Um, Hang on. Those are byproducts of believing the truth and living a life of focus on the presence of God. They're byproducts. And so sometimes we chase the byproducts of the kingdom and we miss the king and we wonder why we never arrive at them. When we were intended to chase the king. Because wherever the king goes, the kingdom follows. He's the first apostle. It's heaven on earth through this family. So, our family will be one where each person, each of you, takes responsibility to find out what God is moving us into. He's always going somewhere. And your leaders don't have the corner on where he's going. In fact, you have the spirit of God in you. You have the mind of Christ. We want to meet with you and find out what you're discerning and where he's going and join you on the mission. Secondly, if the church is a family that builds family, then Saints Hill needs to be a place where unity isn't defined as uniformity. This is a big one. Um, I had a friend of mine who, um, she went and she visited a church um, in uh, I, wanna, I don't want to give too much away. She went and visited this church in a big city. And it's a very very well-known church in this big city. And she came back and I said, hey, how was it? You know, I've always wanted to visit this church. You know, what is it like? And she's like, it was so cute. She's like, I'm like, whoa, really? She said, it's so cute. Everybody there looks like their pastor. They dress like their pastor. They have the hat like their pastor. They wear the skinny jeans like their pastor. They have the boots that their pastor has. They talk like their pastor. Um, and it's just, you know, it's so cool what's going on there. And I'm like, that's not cute. <laughs> that's damaging. And that actually reveals a very specific culture that's in that church. See, I think for many people, the church has been a place where they were tolerated but not celebrated. Or they were told implicitly to dress the right way, say the right things, do the right stuff, and then you'll belong to this group. But in a family, unity or belonging is not determined by uniformity. It's determined by what we make primary. Every child is different. Um, I was just at the Gruel's house today, see so you up there. Um, we are having lunch with them, and they have five children, beautiful children, that are all different and unique in their own way. It's what makes their family beautiful. The parents are different than the children. The children are different than one another. It's this diversity, but unity under the same name that brings about so, it's, it's something the world is so hungry for. And it is the difference of these children that makes for an interesting life and an impactful family unit. There is huge, and I mean massive confusion around what unity means today. <laughs> it's like, it, it's, it's amazing. Some people define unity Uh, maybe even without knowing that they're defining it this way as agreeing with them. So anyone who doesn't agree with them is just, oh, that's just such a disunifying person. They're so divisive. It's like, they just don't agree with you. That means they're divisive? It's like, well, couldn't it be said that maybe you're the one who's divisive? Others define unity as compromise. There's entire churches that are founded around the idea that we're going to be a unity, unifying church. And so everybody... Check your preferences at the door. Is that unity? Close your eyes. I want you to imagine this. I want you to imagine a circle of people. Imagine a circle of people, a large circle of people, and at the center is unity. At the center of the circle is unity. And in order to get there, each person, before they take a step, has to let go of one of their preferences. So they let go of a preference, you can take one step towards unity. You let go of another preference, you can take one step towards unity. You let go of another preference, you can take another step towards unity, and then eventually, once everybody's let go of all the things that they prefer, you get unity. Now in church, what is often at the center of that circle is a definition of unity that is comfortable to the leadership. What many churches define as unity is actually order dictated by the leadership. So that unity looks like doing and saying and being like the leader of the group. That's not unity. But now, close your eyes again, I know. Some of you are like, I was already sleeping. I'm gonna keep my eyes closed. But now, imagine a line of people, a huge, all those people spread out into a line. And at the apex of their vision is God. And as they desire God and submit to God, and go towards him and his presence, they end up getting closer to one another as well. Because unity isn't the aim of our lives, God is. Unity happens to come as we submit ourselves to him. One form of unity says you should submit because of my preferences, because of me. And I notice that you have that opinion that I just don't like very much. And if you got rid of that opinion, then we'd have unity. If we got rid of that viewpoint, then we'd have unity. No, 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 we wouldn't. We would have uniformity. The other version says, I submit to him. And we draw closer together. This is how you get great diversity and great unity at the same time. You know, uh, we don't talk about this very much at the church, but um, at least for Newburgh, we have somewhat of a diverse team. We had a black man who was giving the offering today. We had a Mexican guy who was leading worship. One of our elders is literally from Mexico City. And um, it, was, it was something at, at the church that planted us. I had this, we were all on the same team together. We were doing young adult stuff and high school stuff there. And people would always say, how did you get such diversity? That's incredible. You had to probably work very hard for that diversity. I'm like, I didn't work hard at all. Why? Because I never made diversity the value. I chose to make him the value, and guess what? I found people who had the same heart, and they were diverse, and they had different opinions about different things, and they came from different socioeconomic statuses and different walks of life. Why? Because he's the desire of the nations. So... When you make him primary, you get unity and diversity. It's a beautiful thing. I'm so grateful for what God has done. Third, for Saints Hill, family becomes the context for greatness. Family becomes the context for greatness. The purest desire of a father or a mother is to see their children surpass them, to do better than they had. It's something that I even think about for my daughter, Georgie. I think about, oh my gosh, what, am I, what foundation am I laying for her to stand on my shoulders? Where will she go from what I've done with my life here? But in some families, the children who rise to the top get pushed back down or torn down because their success threatens the worth of other family members. Their success threatens the worth of other family members. And this is the result of insecurity. That's basically the definition of insecurity is when somebody else's success threatens your worth or your value. And it isn't just something that awkward teenagers deal with, okay? I essentially believe that the entire world runs on insecurity. <laughs> the whole world runs on insecurity, and we've never seen that to be more true than when we, had, we got social media. Insecurity is based in the belief that God doesn't care about you or for you. So you thought your issue was with them. No, no, no. Your issue is with a belief system that isn't kingdom, <laughs> If you don't believe that God cares about you, then you will live, and you live in this dog-eat-dog sort of universe, then you will begin to view the world through the lens of lack, and it will sting whenever somebody goes beyond you. And then we wonder, as as the church, as evangelicals, we wonder why people come to churches and they consume instead of invest. They don't believe God loves them. (laughs) They don't believe that God really cares for them. See, the family is supposed to be the opposite. It's the training ground for greatness. It's the training ground for raising up great people, big people. It's the context for the celebration of someone. When Jesus was asked by his disciples how to be greater than one another, this is what he said. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves? He's like, the world functions this way, but I tell you, it's like this. See, Jesus didn't deny greatness. He's like, hey, actually, greatness is a bad thing. You shouldn't want to be a big person who does big things in your life. Whoa, bump the brakes. Um, he didn't deny recognition. He told them the secret to greatness, and it is service. Now, why service? Why is service the way to greatness for the believer? Because only the truly full can afford to serve. Only the truly full can afford to come into an environment like this and to work for the benefit of the person next to them. Only the person who's truly connected to the source of the Father can afford in their emotional and spiritual budget to go low to encourage and to exalt one another. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So... He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet. Here's the key to that passage. Jesus knew. He knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He had come from God and was returning to God. In other words, he was full. (laughs) He knew his identity and his royalty, his greatness was then expressed through his ability to do the lowest task. I would argue that people who don't know who they are can never be great. And it's not because they don't have talent or ability or wealth or connections. It's that they don't have the ability, the fullness from the Father to go low and to do the lowest task. Greatness isn't revealed through financial prosperity or human ability, but through service. His greatness and security was revealed through earthly service. I see this in us as a church, big time. We have this encouragement culture. I don't know if you've felt this. Hopefully it's touched you. I know that I don't know many of you, but hopefully this has gotten to you somehow. One of the most unique things about Saints Hill is just how encouraging people are. I've never been around a group of people who are so full by the love of God and what he has done for them that they spend their time dreaming for one another and encouraging one another to be great. I hope this has touched you. If you haven't been here very long, just stick around. This is a prophesying people, a people who ask God what he thinks about one another and share it with them. I, have, I can point to people who have encouraged me to write classes, books, to do things that I never thought that I would do with my life. They have literally served me. I think of you, Bria, served me so that I could be a big person, so that I could be great. And this has trickled down. I think of Mariah Fredericks. I don't know, is Mariah here? Oh, okay, there you are. I think of you, Mariah. You're one of the most encouraging people I've ever met in my whole life. And one of the things that I notice about Mariah is that she never allows an encouraging thought to remain in her mind. She just has to share it that's somebody who's very full. And I just wanna prophesy over us that we're gonna be a full church. We're the kind of church that just, we, we, I love that passage, outdo one another in showing honor. It's like, should there be competition within the church? Yes, the competition of showing honor. The competition of trying to outdo one another in showing honor. That's the competition we're interested in. In a family, when one person wins, the whole family wins. It doesn't cost the person who is full of food to celebrate someone being fed. It doesn't cost the person who is full with a meal to celebrate someone else getting a nice meal. So may that always be true of us. Lastly, if the church is a family that builds family, then Saints Hill needs to be a people who look to God to be their true father. A people who look to God to be their true father. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine this church. I'm just going to paint a picture for you. Imagine a church where you get to eat together. You get to play together. Go on vacation with one another. You spend time worshiping together throughout the week. It's a family in which honor is present. No competition for identity. You already know that that's settled. And every person has value and knows their place within the family. You have a shared mission and purpose to love the world into an encounter with the one who's encountered you. Do you want that church? Do you want that kind of family? Can you imagine what that would be like? Open your eyes. The problem is that some people expect that this is what the church will be to them regardless of who they are to the people in the church. See, Here's the secret to that kind of church. Each person within that family must be fathered by God personally and filled up with his love through hosting the Holy Spirit every day. Only then will you see a church that develops family around it. It's not to say that the leaders of a church don't matter or that the things that we teach don't matter, or that we don't actually need the people around us and it's just this individualistic thing, but it is to say that just like in a family, we maintain corporate health through our personal commitment to Jesus. Our corporate health as a family comes from each person saying, I will commit to not look to the church to be my father, but to who the church is pointing to, to be my father. Only then, Can the church be what you actually want the church to be? See, there is a call on everyone who gets born again. You no longer have the luxury of standing at a distance and criticizing the church. It's a mistake for Christians to be church critics instead of church builders. Why? Is it because it's just kind of mean and you shouldn't? No, no, no. You are the church, you're the church. So something cannot be true of the church and not true of you. You got baptized into his body. When you critique the church, you are critiquing yourself. We have a responsibility as individuals within the family of God to become what the church should be personally first and then see it spread to the people around us. I believe that it is this truth that helps us move from a place of church critic to church builder from having our expectations not met to becoming Christ to one another regardless of where we've been let down by the people around us. That's the kind of church that we're going to be. A church that is family and builds family. Put your hands over your heart and just repeat after me. May we have a mission that is larger than personal health. May we become a place where unity isn't defined as uniformity. May family become the context for greatness. May we take on the responsibility to be a people who look to God to be their true father. For the sake of God's glory expanding through our family. For the sake of God's glory expanding through our family. So Jesus, we just say come and do this in our church. Would we look like that early church looked? Would we be the kind of people that submit to authority and teaching? The kind of people who see signs and wonders happen in our midst, the kind of people where generosity becomes normal, the kind of people that celebrate the wins of those around us. Thanks for listening. And if we can do anything to help you or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website. Saints Hill church. And the, lighter, and the yoke is so much easier when I'm fine.